Shalom and welcome back, KKCJ family. We are so happy you're here with us today. Uh, we've just come out of the festival of Purim. Purim comes from the word in the book of Esther that in uh, Susa, they would roll the die for uh, choosing a date when to destroy the Jewish people according to the law that was given. And one die would be called a pur. But in Hebrew, we add plural by saying im on the end of a lot of words. So in this case, a, a masculine word like pur would become purim. And that's how we get the festival of purim from the book of Esther. It's been a great time this week. We had our kids program do a wonderful uh, outing together at the park. We also got to participate in something very special. This was called the Night to Shine, where we had several of our King of Kings community members and leaders uh, serve handicapped and disabled young adults and give them a special night. So I just want to say thank you to that team who got a chance to serve uh, with that special permission from the government this week, Pastor Mike, helping to lead the charge. Thank you, Melissa, Carla, Joshua, Jackie, and others who all participated in the Night to Shine. Thank you so much for representing us at King of Kings Community. I want to also welcome everybody watching, not just our members in Jerusalem, but also our friends and partners around the world. Welcome back to Jerusalem. Uh, again, Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, uh, YouTube, and all of the other channels. Welcome back to King of Kings Community. This past week, we had a staff devotion. Now, we do this every Tuesday, and generally myself or one of our executive team leaders or one of our elders will lead the staff devotion and prayer time. This particular Tuesday, I was leading uh, the staff prayer and, and, and discussion and announcements, but we get into the devotions for a few minutes. And I felt like I was sharing something important about the depth of God's love, the depth of His compassion, and the depth of His wisdom. And I felt like the depth of those things is going to carry over into today's time in the Word together uh, as we continue in our Life Behind the Shield series. So today, Life Behind the Shield, turn in your Bibles or your devices to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. While you're turning there, just want to give you an update about what's happening here in Israel. Uh, for the most part, things are starting to open up a little bit more, particularly for the people who have been uh, vaccinated. If they've received their first and second uh, vaccination shots, they have a green passport, they have permission to be in shopping malls and, and gyms and theaters. Um, the general population is still limited to 10 people in a room at this point. The airports are primarily uh, still not open to everyone. There's a few people who are getting in, but uh, basically just citizens of Israel at this point. So we're, we're still kind of coming out of this lockdown phase. Half the country has been vaccinated. So thank you for your continued prayers because we've had a few people on our team our worship team, some of our local pastors, some of our international pastors have come down with COVID and are fighting through it. So thank you for your continued prayers for their health. We're going to go in deep today. This is not going to be a shallow message. We're going to go pretty deep. I'm actually not going to cover a lot of verses. I'm actually going to take four or five verses and dig really deep down for the symbolism that God wants to show us uh, through water immersion, what it means, what, it, what did it mean in the times past, but what does it mean differently for us today as New Covenant believers? I've entitled today's sermon, The Countdown. So if you need to refer back to it, you can look for The Countdown sermon 
as part of the Life Behind the Shield series. Now, Life Behind the Shield, it describes things that God is doing strategically behind the scenes. Things in our life, things universally, things eternally. He is always on the move. He is strategic. He doesn't do random. And there is a life behind the shield, the power of God that protects us. A lot of times we want to pull back that curtain and see what God is doing behind the scenes. And this is going to be a little bit more uh, toward that angle today. Let me give you our main text today. Again, we're only going to cover four or five verses. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, 19, and 20. That will be our launching main text. We'll come back to it a few times today. So let's open with that reading. For Messiah also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Now, the Greek here for the word proclamation, Yeshua went and proclaimed something. The word here for proclamation is keruso, and it means simply to exclaim, to proclaim, or to preach something. So Yeshua, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, after he was made alive, Yeshua went and proclaimed something to this group of people. This is what Peter is describing. So it's a little bit of a mystery when we first read it, what Peter is trying to say. What is he trying to tell us? What is the lesson in these verses? And that's what we're going to unpack for the next few moments. Notice several things. First, it was Yeshua who went to where the imprisoned people were, right? It's it's, it's the love of God always pursuing those that are his children, but those that do not follow yet. So we want to first start our assignment today with figuring out who are these imprisoned people. Well, of course, according to Peter, they are those who were disobedient to God during a certain time period. So what we're going to discuss today is the people inside the boundaries of this certain time period. And that time period are the people who were disobedient while Noah was building the ark. That's what Peter said. So let's look at it a little bit uh, from a different angle. Who are these people? Um, We know the time frame. But in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible tells us a little bit about the people themselves, what they were like and what they were doing to the earth. Genesis 6, 5, and 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. There are other descriptions in the same chapter a little bit further down, chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. It's very similar. It says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all of the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. That's the people that Peter is describing. This is the generation. They were corrupt, evil all the time. Every thought, every inclination of the heart leaned and pursued evil. That's the generation. 
that Peter is describing, and that's the generation that Yeshua went and proclaimed some great message to, and we're inside the boundaries of, not everybody, inside the boundaries of those people in that generation, probably the most wicked generation that the earth has known. Now, there are correlating verses that help us understand a little bit more about what Genesis is describing in this specific group of people. I'm going to stick in Genesis 6 for another moment. Look at verse 1, 2, and 3. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and that they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. 120 years. That's the focal point there of those verses. So there is this time period of 120 years. Let's talk about that. There's this group of people inside of that time period that Peter is talking about because Yeshua went and proclaimed something specific to them. Now, some people view this 120 years as a new age limit that was pronounced on mankind. Makes sense. Because prior to that, mankind had lived seven, eight, even 900 years. So pronouncing a shortened life upon them was a certain measure of judgment. If that is an angle, we can, we can embrace that if that's true. It also helps us to understand while the later generations looked back and they, they, they described the oldest generation as heroes of old and the men of renown because those of us that were born after the pronouncement of 120-year limit would look at the people born before the pronouncement of the 120-year limit and we're not making it past 120 and they're living to be 900. So, of course, they would look like heroes to us. Makes a lot of sense. I can buy into that. But others don't look at it this way. That's just one perspective. Other people view the 120-year pronouncement as a countdown to judgment, that God was basically coming to the most wicked generation on the earth, and he was saying, I'm warning you. I'm giving you an alarm signal. You have 120 years to turn this around. I'm giving you ample time to listen to my voice, to heed my warning, and to make a change. And from that perspective, we see Noah comes on the scene, a righteous man in his generation. God gives him the instructions to build the ark. And so during this 120 years of warning, or this 120 years, which could be seen as a countdown to judgment, they were warned. They were given a clear word. Noah's over here building the ark. They were warned by God. And this particular generation, this most wicked generation, warned by God, they still chose to disobey and live in rebellion. And those are the people that Yeshua is proclaiming the special message to. You see, it's the 120 years of countdown warning to judgment. Or, even inside of that 120 years, while Noah was building the ark, that's what Peter said, there's about a 75-year period where Noah was building the ark, many scholars believe. And the people that lived in that time period who saw the warning signs, who heard the warning of God, who saw what Noah was doing, they still chose to disobey and rebel against God. To this group, Yeshua is giving a very special uh, message too. We should notice that the disobedient people in that generation, of course, they didn't get away with it. 
Remember Peter's words that Yeshua proclaimed a message to those in prison. So they weren't just roaming free and having a great afterlife. They were in prison because of their disobedience. Now, I want to look at this place, this prison. What is it? What does the word say about it? What are the puzzle pieces that we can put together? Well, listen, as I jump into this topic for a moment, just, just give me some grace because we're not going to get the entirety of description. But there are several puzzle pieces that the Bible gives us of prisons or places that act like prisons for the disobedient. So let's begin with Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. The Bible says, speaking of Satan, when the thousand years were over, Satan will be released from his prison. Okay, there's step one. We know that there is a prison, and we know that Satan gets locked up in the prison. It's called his prison. Perhaps that's where these disobedient people in the days of Noah were. It's hard to say, but we do know that one exists. A little bit later, we find in the book of Luke where Yeshua is at the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown as he grew up, and he's getting up on the Shabbat and he's reading from the parashah. And while he was reading Isaiah 61, he's referring to himself through the prophetic scriptures. And this is what it says, Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner. Freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Hopefully you caught that. That's exactly what Peter said he did. That as he was made alive after his death and resurrection, Yeshua was made alive in the spirit and he went backwards into history as only he can do. And he proclaimed this special message to the prisoners who were disobedient in the time of Noah the ones who disregarded the countdown warning to judgment and continued in the rebellion. God was pursuing them with some kind of message. Because why? Because that's exactly what the prophet said he would do. Now you can look at this on all kinds of levels, and this is one of those moments of Yeshua demonstrating his ability to have duality in his fulfillment of scriptures. Of course, when it says Yeshua proclaimed to the prisoners, he could have physically gone down the street to the local prison and could have preached the kingdom of God to them. That would have fulfilled it. He could have been talking about spiritual prison, addictions and bondage in our life. That would have also fulfilled it. And he could have been also talking about this time where after being made alive in his spirit, he went and proclaimed to the prisoners of old in whatever prison they were in. All of this shows that when the Spirit of God gives a word of prophecy. He's able to fulfill that prophecy in multiple ways and in multiple generations, keeping the prophecy accurate all along the way. What a miraculous God we serve, the Messiah who can do all of that. So we're getting some puzzle pieces to this idea of the prison, what it is, who's involved in it. There are other verses that, that seem to indicate something similar. Revelation 1.18 Yeshua says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. So we know that there's a place called Hades. Yeshua has the keys to it. He visited the people in prison, the ancient ones of old. Satan is going to be locked up. How can you lock someone up in prison unless you have the keys? Yeshua has the keys. 
So we know that there is some kind of place being described through all of these passages where the ancient disobedient generation was, was placed. Let's look at one more selection regarding this place of imprisonment. Revelation 20, starting in verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So even though we're not exactly sure what kind of prison these ancient disobedient people were in when Yeshua proclaimed his salvation message to them, we know what it was not. It was not the lake of fire. It was not the final resting place for disobedient people. It was certainly a prison, not a happy place, not a good place. It was a place where disobedience was not excused. It was being judged and dealt with. And yet we see the heart of the Lord to pursue some kind of special communication with those people upon his death, where his spirit was then able to take authority over death, over hell, over Hades, take you the keys, if you will, during that, that transformational and eternally impacting time period. It's not the lake of fire, but it still is prison. Now, so far we've been able to cover in a short period of time, who are we talking about? The disobedient generation in the time of Noah when he was building the ark. They heard the warning. They were given the 120 years judgment. They still persisted in disobedience and rebellion. So we know the who. We know the when. It was during the time Noah was building the ark. That's the specific group of people that Yeshua is proclaiming the message to. We know where. The where is this prison description. They were locked up because of their disobedience somewhere. We get a few descriptions that we've covered. What we haven't covered, however, is the why. We know the who, we know the when, we know the where. But what about the why? Why is Peter writing about this? It's a little bit of a mystery. It seems a little bit out of place. We're going to start to pull all of it together for you here. So let's go back to the main text for a second. Let's remind ourselves of what it is. Let's remind ourselves of the context we've just described and then grab a hold of the lesson that he meant for us to get before we close. 1 Peter chapter 3, 18, 19, 20. For Messiah also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Here we go. Here goes the lesson. Water is now being introduced. And this water symbolizes the immersion that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. Remember that phrase. It saves you by the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, who has gone into heaven 
and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. We know the people we were specifically speaking of. We know the time frame. We know the location. But all of it was pointing to the symbolism of water immersion and what God does through the symbolism and the sign of water. He says the water that saves you. It's not just washing your body, getting clean from your skin. That's important too. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about cleansing your conscience. It's talking about disconnecting you from the painful memories, the scars, the stains of your past that Satan cannot replay in your mind over and over the fallen moments of your life. Your conscience has been cleared in the Messiah. It's not enough to just wipe away your sin. God wants to cut all of the ties that you had with your past sins. It's not enough to heal you from your pain. He wants to cut you off from the source of those pains which were in your past. He wants to clear your conscience that you may live life anew and afresh. And so this all starts to play out in the symbolism of water, not only cleansing you, but cleansing your conscience. And, and it's a symbol not only that we died when we go under the water as New Covenant believers. Listen, if you don't know this process, maybe you're new to the kingdom. Maybe you've never been immersed in water. This is your day. Make sure you call us. Let's figure out a way to get you immersed in water. We want you to be part of this understanding. We give our heart to the Lord. We say, you're the only way to, to salvation and to eternal life. I repent of my sin. Please forgive me. I accept the work of your blood on the cross as a sacrifice. I go through the waters of immersion to do what? To cleanse my conscience, to, to show a symbol that I died to my old self. I died to my old life. I, I resurrected as a new creation. And the water becomes the dividing line between death and sin of the past and new life when we, when we rise out of the water. And in that resurrection, we connect with Yeshua. Remember, it saves you also by the resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah. Let me give you your first key phrase today. In his death, he defeated sin. But in his resurrection, he defeated death. Isn't that amazing? Two of our greatest enemies, our worst enemies, sin and death. And when Yeshua died, he defeated sin. But when he resurrected, he defeated death itself. And we see many instances of the idea of water immersion in the Bible giving us uh, important revelation. Noah, we've already talked about. It was the cleansing of the earth, but Noah's family was saved in the ark by God's miraculous hand. What about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt? They certainly were saved by the blood at Passover, but then they walked through the waters of the Red Sea. It was cutting them off from their past. It was supposed to cleanse their conscience from their past influences, putting them at Mount Sinai to receive the new law of the Lord as a new life, a new creation, a new destiny. Water cuts off the past and it, it brings us to new life. This is what Peter's trying to tell us. What about the water rituals in the tabernacle and the temple where you come to the temple, you wash first, you bathe on your way and then you wash your hands in the bronze basin. You prepare yourself, you cut yourself off from the sin that you've been involved in and you prepare yourself for the holiness of worship inside the tabernacle and the temple. What about John the Immerser, their cousin 
of Yeshua. He was immersing people in water, calling upon repentance of sin and resurrection to new life. And that's what we as New Covenant believers, we connect with those two symbols as well. Repentance of sin, resurrection to new life. But as New Covenant believers, we have something that the ancients didn't have. Now, stick with me one more moment. When all of the other ancient people, Noah, children of Israel, uh, the temple, tabernacle, John, when they connected with the water symbolism, they knew it was erasing the old, giving them new life. But Yeshua had not died and rose again yet in the time of those people. So the symbolism for us of water immersion adds one key component that the others uh, never had. And that is this, that when we go through the waters of immersion and we believe that Yeshua rose from the dead, we also embrace his triumph over death itself. You see, the ancients didn't have that revelation yet. He hadn't died, he hadn't rose again, but we have it as new covenant believers. So we are cleansed from our past. We are brought to new life. And we proclaim through immersion that Yeshua has triumphed over death. That's a bonus for us that the patriarchs and matriarchs of the past didn't have. But you and I have it as new covenant believers. I think that's why it's important in the book of Romans chapter 10. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Yeshua is the Messiah and that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. The resurrection, the the confession of the resurrection is such a big part of understanding salvation. Let me give you the second key phrase today. Yeshua lived, died, and lives again so that we might live eternally. He he purchased, he, he conquered, he was triumphant over death itself. Sin, death, water immersion, cutting off of the old life, raising to new life, conquering death itself. Final scripture today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see, Yeshua not only had access to all authority, he had access to the elements that caused sin, that caused death. He had access to these prisons that we're describing, to maybe even hell itself, to the principalities, the powers, the authorities, the rulers. All of these things were put in submission to Yeshua the Messiah. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15 as we close. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed, catch it, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that the Messiah, that this does not include God himself, talking about the Father, because the Father puts all things under the Messiah. Isn't that amazing? We are, through the symbolism of water immersion in all of its forms, we are cut off from our past sins, given a clear conscience. We are rising out of the water to have new life in the Messiah. And we are embracing that Yeshua himself rose from the dead, defeating death itself. What a great bonus we get as New Covenant believers. And this is what Peter's teaching us, 1 Peter chapter 3, that Yeshua 
not only is giving the keys of the kingdom to the believers, but he's pursuing unbelievers. He went to the most rebellious generation who had all the symbols, the countdown to judgment, the warnings, and he proclaimed the message to them. And we have a greater revelation than they had. And I hope you embrace that today. If you've never been immersed in water, please email us. Put something in the chat field. Let us know. We want to be part of your journey in, in salvation to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and its depth. We didn't cover a lot of verses today, but thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to go deep. This deep message from a deep God, how much you love the believers, but how much you love and also pursue the unbelievers. Thank you for the symbolism of water, cleansing of the past, a new life in front of us, but ultimately understanding also that Yeshua defeated death itself and how all of that plays together. God, let us never take lightly some of these amazing symbolic and prophetic moments in our life. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to draw close to you through all of these things. We bless you for your amazing heart today. Help us to take these lessons forward into the week. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen, amen. Be blessed, be empowered this week. Walk in all of the power of the Holy Spirit and let's be functional in the gifts of the Holy Spirit this week, letting his word flow out of our life, touching everyone around us. Have a great week, my friends.